Welcome to The Jesus Follower, a podcast about helping ordinary people be close to an extraordinary God. The goal? To help you experience the life you were designed to live in the good times, tough times, and in the moments that nobody else sees. All right, what a what a blessed time of worship this morning. So grateful for that time and that opportunity in the Lord. Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to cover some ground in, in, the, in the Word, but don't panic at that, okay? So we're, uh, we've been talking about some of the things, especially out of Jeremiah, for a little while. And, you know, I'm really amazed in the Lord that Sometimes, have you ever had, had a time in your life when God was working in your life and he reveals, like he shares a word or a message with you and you don't know that you're going to have to deal with that particular situation in the very near future and then all of a sudden that situation comes upon you and you're like, oh, this was maybe for the church but it was also for me, Lord, because here we are. We're right in, in the mix of it all. Have you ever experienced something like that? Yeah, I feel like that's kind of where I am here recently is that, you know, God is, is sharing things with me and then I find myself kind of in the same area and needing that word myself in my own spiritual journey. And, uh, and so it's really an incredible thing that God would share those um, monumental truths with us so that we can be prepared for those moments when things do come upon us that maybe we wouldn't have been prepared for before. And so, uh, you know, even this morning, last week, uh, or Friday night, we were talking to the Jamaican team and we were talking about spiritual warfare and things. And, uh, and you know, there are times even when you get, when you, when it comes to even coming to church, maybe to worship where you feel like that the enemy may be attacking you that morning and trying to prevent you from coming or prevent you from focusing or whatever the case may be. Has anyone ever been there? Yeah. Okay. So a few. So, uh, you know, it's just a, it, it is a very real thing and something that God's word tells us for that purpose so that we can be prepared for that when it comes. And I praise him so much for doing that. But we're going to start out in Jeremiah 7 this morning, uh, and we're going to look at a time to consider mankind's efforts to redefine. And so the whole, the message, a lot of a word that comes to mind in the message is hunger. And so I was thinking about this. I'm going to share kind of a gross story with you this morning about hungering, okay? So as a, as a child, uh, you know, in the youth group, we, we do sometimes partake of bugs, but I'm not talking about that kind of hunger. You know, they really enjoy that. But as a child, we have moments as children. We've got the children in here today uh, on the front row here. Braylon's here, Zaylee and, and her friends back there. And see, if I call you by name, you have to pay attention even if you're not paying attention. You know, Once I say child, even, look, I've already come off. All right, you all are even closer and everything. Once I say child, they all you know, perk up and pay attention. So as a child, we hunger for things often. You know, I remember my dad always gave me a hard time because my, my hunger was constant. And as I got older, my brother and I, between the two of us, we would just demolish the kitchen, right? We would, we would go through all the food, all the drinks, all the snacks, and my dad would always get on to us like, you gotta go a little more sparingly than what you're going. You're getting rid of all of it as soon as it's here. I mean, I just, I had a hunger problem, I think, whenever I was growing up. But there's one, there's a couple items that kids hunger for more than the rest. What do you think those might be? I heard candy. That's one, one that comes candy. Would you say, would you say y'all hunger for candy? 
Yeah, the conviction's all over them. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I, and listen, I hunger for sweets and candy too, for cakes and things like that. But there's another thing I was thinking they hunger for. Pizza. <laughs> they hunger for a lot of things, right? Soda. I was thinking soda, right? Like they, they hunger for soda. Sometimes even the youth, you know, they'll, they'll drink so many sodas. And I'm like, man, I, I remember being hungry for soda, but, but not exactly that way. I'm not drinking like seven to 10 a night. You know, I was thinking if I got two, I would be like, uh, you know, but you know, they're, they're seven plus sometimes, right? I think Silas may hold the record for that. But, but, but soda is another thing that I thought, man, they, so they hunger for candy and they hunger for soda. And one of the things, even as I was growing up and thinking, is that they will find a way to get the thing that they hunger for. Have you ever witnessed that? And here's the other thing, adults, they will find you out if you have the thing they hunger for. Do you know that? Like there are people in my kids' minds that they're going to sit with if they get a chance to sit with them because ultimately they love you. I'm sure that's deep. That's, that's the real rooted reason. But then I see after they take that seat and I see some things passing down the line, I'm like, oh, okay. So they are trying to satisfy their hunger for candy. And so some adults keep candy on them all the time, apparently, or maybe only bring them specially here. And so in that, we see that our kids find their way to the adults. So if you want to find the way to our kids' hearts, candy is the way. Now, me saying that, I'm not encouraging you to give them a bunch of candy, okay? But I am saying that I have witnessed that take place, is that they will find their way. Well, when I was growing up, I was the same way. I was no different. I find myself getting on to the kids for a lot of the same stuff that I did, I did when I was younger. And I'll go to my mom and I'll say, Mom, have, we never did stuff like that. She said, are you kidding me? Yes, you did. We surely didn't fight like this. Are you kidding me? I'm like, yeah, okay. I remember some situations that we may have. But my dad growing up, um, he always chewed, he always chewed dip. He always had dip in his mouth. Y'all know dip, right? Little canisters of dip. And my hunger and, and my desire for candy and soda uh, got away from me a couple times because my dad chewed dip. Because where my dad would spit the dip, yeah, you see where this is going, right? Not going to be pretty at the end. All right. We always drank the Big K Colas. I don't know Big K, do y'all know Big K? And so, uh, so we always got the off-brand soda. That's what we did. And, and my dad would always, he doesn't dip anymore, thank the Lord, he, he stopped doing that. But he would always have the sodas lying around. We always had Big K. He always drank the colas constantly. And, and so myself, being a, a, someone that wants to teach others about what it means to hunger, I was like, listen, I need to stick with the, you know, and I, and I would always look for those opportunities to get candy. And I knew the people that would give me candy. And, and I would also look for the opportunities to partake of some soda if no one was around and I had the opportunity. And so I remember one day I, I was, uh, we were at church, we, we were at church quite a bit growing up and, and I found my way out to the car before anyone else got out to the car and there in the cup holder of the car, I know, it was glorious until it wasn't, right? So in the cup holder of the car was a can of Big K Cola. Well, was a can that I thought was Big K Cola. 
And I thought that, you know, I was, I was thinking and my dad, if he's watching, he's going to love me telling this in public, I'm sure. But I was thinking that, you know, this is a perfect opportunity for me to satisfy my hunger that I can't always find satisfaction in if mom and dad are around because they limit me so much. So I snuck off to the car, grabbed that can. And you know, when you think and expect something to taste one way and be a certain consistency. And then when you actually, when it hits your palate and you find out that it's not only warm, but uh, it's a different consistency altogether than your, the color's the same, but the consistency was different. You know, I mean, you've been there, right? And so I remember grabbing that and thinking I had made it, right? Like I had done it. I mean, nobody's around. I've got it. And serves me right, right? But I grabbed it and just turned. I didn't even think about it. Didn't smell, test it, nothing. And I don't know how fast that came out, but I know it came out really fast. It didn't make it very far. And I thought, man, you know, so it's really important in that illustration that we're making sure that we're hungering and thirsting for the right things, right? Because not all of the time is it the right things. Not all of the time is it what we expect it's going to be. And needless to say, that wasn't the only time that that happened. But I tried to limit the number of times that happened as much as possible, because even though I may eat bugs from time to time, from Juggle Gems, I do not like to partake in that particular beverage that's in a Big K Cola can. But you know, I think there's a great illustration in that. You may say, how in the world do you get an illustration? That's just the way my mind works, okay? Because a lot of times you and I, even as we hunger and thirst, on the outside of what we see, we can think that we're hungering and thirsting for the right things, but internally, on what God only knows is that it's not always the thing that we need. It may look like the thing that we need. It may look like that, like this is what I've been waiting for. This, this job or this opportunity or this, you know, whatever the case this minute, this is exactly what I need. But then when it, it doesn't work out or things change, we're like, why, Lord, why would you do that? This is what I need. But the thing is, is that we don't always know, as we talked about last week, we don't always know the plans and we don't always know God's way as much as God knows his way. So even though we may think that our hunger, how, how many of you out there have ever been misguided in what you were really pursuing in life and it, you thought it was good and you thought it was okay, but at the end of it all, you realized that you were kind of missing it and you were distracted all from the main point. Has anyone ever been there? So he told me with that big K cola and that drink, it was like, okay, so in life, really, my life is a lot like that. Like there are things that I will pursue and I will hunger for and I'll think that I must have it only to find out that underneath the surface, it's really not what I needed most at all. If I would have just taken time to ask God to direct my hunger, to guide my thirsting, then it would all work out better in the end. Does that make sense? Have we got over the disgusting big K cola beverage? Yep, some of us are still working out that. Okay, anyway, so let's, uh, let's, let's get into the word then and it'll get us past this. But one of the things in Jeremiah, and it starts in Jeremiah, but really it's all throughout the scripture. One of the things that I find from the word of God that we tend to do is we are, are really efficient, unfortunately, of, of kind of wanting to redefine worship and time in the house of God to fit our needs and our desires. 
And you see, you may say, well, how do we do that? Well, if, whether in the time of Jeremiah or Haggai or in the Gospels, all throughout time, you see that God's word addresses the fact that the people are not worshiping like God intended for the people to worship. That the people often get off track and are not striving after the right thing, even when it comes to our time of worship, that we get sidetracked on a lot of other things. And we've talked about that before, and I think we've even agreed about that before. Uh, but the word of God is so consistent with this that I thought it was something that God has been bringing to my mind and my heart, and I wanted to bring it to yours as well. And, and we're going to start, we're going to go through actual time periods and see that the struggle is similar in all the time periods. And the struggle really is that we, we like to have control over the way that we're worshiping. Does that make sense? I mean, we, we like to have our hand on certain components, on certain things, and we have our own expectation about how things need to operate. And it's no different than mankind has been for all of time. Because as you look in Jeremiah, as we look at Haggai, as we look at Matthew, it is a consistent thing that the house or the temple of God is going to become something that God didn't intend for it to become. And Jesus, I feel like in John, and I'll just flip here and you can turn there if you want, but in John chapter 4, Jesus kind of hits the nail on the head here in verse number 21 as he's talking to the woman at the well. And he says, Jesus saith that her woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh, and so in spirit and in truth is the key to our worship, but so many times it seems like we can get off track. And so I want to show you some examples in the scripture of, at how this happens and what the problem is so that we can be challenged. Time to consider. Consider our ways. Consider your worship. Are we in the right place when we come into the house of God to worship? Is the question that I want you to think about. Jeremiah 7. Let's look at verse number 9. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago, I think, briefly. Uh, it says, will, will ye steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk, not, or walk after other gods whom ye know not? And come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations. Is this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. So in Jeremiah's time, and we know, um, just, just let's see how much we remember. Who was king when Jeremiah started prophesying? I heard it, Josiah, I'm gonna go with it. I don't know who said it, but I'm gonna go with it because I heard it. Oh, thank you. Yes, so Josiah, so we know that the time frame is that the southern kingdom still was there when Jeremiah was prophesying. And so that gives us kind of an idea of around about the time frame. They didn't have a whole lot of time left, but there still was some time. And Josiah was king and Jeremiah, as the Lord revealed to him, is sharing this powerful message with the, the southern kingdom, Judah and Jerusalem. And, and, and this one in particular, 
where he says, he calls them out essentially on the way that they are worshiping, the way that they are coming to the house of the Lord. And basically what he tells them as you read, as we read that is that the rest of their week and the rest of their time, they want to do their own thing, but yet still come and worship God on the day of worship and think that everything's okay. You see that even in nine there, he says, and, and, and burn incense into Baal and walk after other gods whom you know not and come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name. You see, they wanted to do, and this, this seems to be a consistent problem as I read all these passages, is that they wanted to do things their way and they wanted God to be on board with the way they wanted to do things. So, so they wanted to worship Baal, they wanted to follow other gods, they wanted to do the things that the other nations were doing, and that was the whole problem, and God pled with them, right? He cried after them, and he said, listen, why will you not just come to me? I have set the standard for you so that you know what the expectation is. I want obedience, I want you to be completely surrendered, I'm a jealous God, and so only serve and worship and follow me, and yet over and over again, we find them redefining what God said in their own way. And so for, for Josiah's time, for the southern kingdom here, we find that what they were doing is the rest of the week, they were going out or, or burning incense or following other gods, and then they expected to come and stand before the Lord and God to be okay with it. And God's like, that's not how that works. You can't, you can't come to me after you've been doing your own thing all week long and expect me to be okay with it. And I got to thinking about that, like God doesn't deserve to play second fiddle to anything else in our life, does he? I mean, I mean, God doesn't deserve to put on a back burner at all. And really, uh, the, the, the statement that sticks out, we need not to serve and follow our own selfish desires the rest of the week and then come and worship him on Sunday. Because, I mean, in reality, that's what they were doing, right? They were there for the worship times. They were coming before God like God commanded them to. But, but instead of, of coming only before God and being obedient and, and diligent and hungry for him the rest of the time, they wanted to kind of pick and choose when they were going to serve and follow him. So, so they found themselves chasing other gods and they found themselves offering incense to Baal and they found themselves living in sin and then they would come before God and God was like, no, that's not how this works. He deserves more than our divided allegiance is the first thing that I want you to see. He deserves more than our divided allegiance. Now, now how, how many times do we find ourselves, and listen, I'm saying we because I'm a part of this group, right? So how many times do we find ourselves doing similar things where the rest of the week we'll be distracted and caught up on a lot of different things? And I'm not saying that it's not good things. Some of them may be good, but they're not God. And we're caught up on a lot of different things going on and not giving God the allegiance, the, the obedience, the surrender, the focus that he deserves to have throughout the week. And then we come to church and we say, now I'm ready to worship. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Where, where were you the rest of the week? What about this time that I gave you to spend time with me, but you spent time doing something else? 
What about the opportunities every day when I gave you life and breath that you could be worshiping me every day, but you've chosen not to and you've chosen to come now and and just expect? What about the sin? Because sometimes we have hidden sins in our life. We have secret sins that we may not confess to God and we may not confess to anybody because we're embarrassed by them and we don't want other people to know, but God knows, right? I'm sure the southern kingdom wasn't like, yeah, we're so excited when they came to the house of God that that we've worshiped Baal and we followed other gods. I'm sure they were propagating that all the way up to the temple, but yet God knew. And so, so they came to worship and God's like, no, listen, this is not how it's supposed to work. This is not what I commanded you. You are trying to redefine worship in your own terms and say, I can give this to other gods and I can give this to you and that's okay. But God's like, you're not the one that defines worship I am. And so it's not up to you to try to make up rules and make up regulations and do your own thing. Uh, And one of the things that you're gonna see continue to rise up is that there is this pull from ourselves that is very strong sometimes in our life. Our selfish desire, a pridefulness, which it's not surprising because from the very beginning, pride has been an issue, right? Even from early, early, the earliest parts of the scripture, pride has been an issue. And so there is this, this pool that sometimes is ourselves, but we think it might be God. And we, if we're not spending time with God, we're not going to be able to differentiate. And sometimes self just pulls and pulls and our, our desires end up taking over instead of God's spirit and his spirit moving in our midst. Does that make sense? So in Josiah's time, Jeremiah comes and he says, listen, God through Jeremiah says, this is unacceptable. I am not, uh, your allegiance has never been, should have never been divided. You are supposed to be all in and one. And you think about that in our lives because I'll be honest with you, there has been many times where I have been divided, where God hasn't been given in my life as much as he should have been. I'm sure we can all identify with that. Uh, But here's the thing, could you imagine what would happen if we actually, actually did completely turn over and surrender every bit of who we are as a church? Could you imagine what that would look like when God was priority over every component of our life? Even if it's a, a regular decision in life, if we took that on our, to our knees in prayer before we made any decision and allowed God to lead, could you imagine what that might look like? I think we get a glimpse in Acts, don't we? Uh, a small glimpse in the book of Acts as you look at how God comes upon the scene and the power of the Spirit in such a mighty way and transforms lives. And one, one consistent theme in Acts is they are constantly gathered together in prayer, aren't they? Prayer, 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 prayer. That's what they are doing because prayer is their connection with the almighty God of the universe and a privileged connection at that. Uh, So first and foremost, that's what we find in Jeremiah. There is a problem with their worship. They have brought their selfish desire in and tried to redefine and God says, no, that's not how it's supposed to work. If you flip over to Haggai or Haggai chapter one, we see again, this is after the 70 years have been accomplished of captivity, after they 
have been taken to Babylon and they're able to return home and you can go back to Ezra and kind of read through that account. Uh, But this is after that. So Josiah has come and gone. The southern kingdom has been captured and now they've returned home and Haggai is the prophet that God sends to his people. But look at what the problem is. In verse number two, Haggai one, verse number two. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts saying, this people say the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. So to give you a little context of what happens here, you all probably know this, but when they returned home, they started to build the house, but then uh, there was a stoppage that was from the emperor said that you have to stop. There was some people, op- opposing people that wrote a letter back to the emperor and he said, stop building the house. And so the people stopped building the house. But the problem is, what happens to you and I when we get out of a habit? Or we, when we get out of a practice, how hard is it for us to get back into practice? Yeah. I mean, and I always use that wheelbarrow illustration, right? It's a lot harder to pick it up initially. Uh, and once you get it moving, it moves pretty good. But if you're always setting it down and picking it up, I mean, it's heavy, right? And so it's the same thing when it comes to our consistency and the importance of us practicing and following on a daily basis. And so, uh, so for, for them, there was a stoppage there. And instead of them looking to finish God's house, to finish the place of worship, instead of that, they decided to just work on their own houses, And all the messages that come flowing in my mind through this passage, right? Because how many times are you and I guilty or have I been guilty in my life of putting a stoppage to God's things in my life so that I can pay more attention to the things of my own advancement in life that I think are more important? How many times do we put a hold on what God may be leading us to do because we got to get this stuff in line before we take that step and then we never get to that step because we've, we've put it on hold and we just leave it there? But look at what God says to Haggai in verse number three. Then the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet saying, is it, is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, again in verse seven, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house and I will take pleasure in it and I will be glorified, say the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man into his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon all the, that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of thine hands. So you see that because they neglected the work of the Lord, and they became very passive and complacent, then, then God said, listen, you are not enjoying the full increase because you are not putting me where I belong and that is number one instead you have you have laid me aside and the work of my house and what I've commanded you to do and you've laid me aside for your own houses and you've become satisfied with me being there this is one of those rare places where when it comes to Israel, it feels like when God presents this word the people listen and they do start building the house again 
But for you and I, I mean, think about, think about this. Like, you know, we, we, we look at this and we see, man, they, they, they did become complacent. They did end up, once, once anything came up in the way in their life, they were satisfied to just do their own thing. Think about you and I. How many times has God maybe been almost there to lead you to do something for him and something come up, and to this day, you've still never gotten around to it? Why? It's the same thing, isn't it? Because if God is leading us to do something, who is going to be leading us or trying to get us not to do it? The, the devil is, right? Just like for the people of Israel, there was opposition in the land. God provided everything through Cyrus for them to go back and rebuild the house and be established in Israel again. But of course, there is opposition there. And so when the opposition comes and they shut down the building, the people of God say, okay. Well, we'll just take care of ourselves then. And maybe one day we'll get back to God. But you see, they don't get back to him until God gets a hold of them. And so many times, even in, in our lives, we become that way where we're not hungering and driven to step toward, we want God to come to us. So many times in our life, we, we do take that step and then opposition comes and we, we lay that down and we get distracted on something else and we begin to take care of our own life and our own area as best we see fit. And it takes so much time before we get back to God. In, in our times visiting the nursing home, you know, one of the things that I heard so consistently when we would go from week to week to the nursing home and have a service in Kentucky, one of the things we always heard was, I wish I hadn't wasted so much time over and over and over again and I felt like the Lord was speaking to me through them saying Daniel don't miss it you have opportunity you have time don't take it for granted because I can't tell you. And then those that had gotten it right, they never shared about the things that takes precedence in our lives so many of the times. Materialism and materialistic thought processes that we have in our world today, so many times we chase after all the stuff. But I can tell you there was very few times, if any, when we got to visit with folks that they ever told me about their stuff. They always told me about their family, they told me about people that they had led to Christ. They told me about their service in the church if they were a believer. But they would rarely ever tell me about their stuff. And I was so amazed and Tiffany and I was so impressed. It just pressed upon us because you get to thinking about things just in the big picture and you think about, man, life really is a vapor, right? We, the things happen unexpectedly. I think of uh, Brother David and, and David Smith and the thing that happened and, and I think Eris made some kind of comment, but the thing that happened all of a sudden with him, so unexpected. I think about Miss Pat or Dave and, and, and so quickly can everything change in life that we really don't have time to neglect God and focus on all of our stuff first because we don't know what that time frame actually is gonna be. And so when it came to the people of God and Haggai, as they returned home, God said, listen, you wanna know why blessing isn't coming? Because you're, neglected, you're neglecting me. The second thing is this, he must take precedence. God must take precedence in our worship. He must take precedence. Now I know, listen, I, Sunday mornings and it can be so busy and worship day can be so busy, but worship just doesn't happen at church, does it? Corporate worship happens here maybe, but worship I hope for you is happening every day of the week. 
That you're finding that, that closet space or you're finding the wooded area or you're finding, uh, last night I found a dry creek bed. I can't give away my spot because then all of you may show up there and then it won't be that quiet spot anymore. But there's this, there's this dry creek bed and I found that creek bed and I hope that you're finding that place because worship needs to happen all the time in spirit and in truth, going to the Father with him as the focus, not just on Sunday morning. We're blessed to do that corporately here, but every day we need to worship because he is worthy and if he is taking precedence, he will be number one in our daily lives, not just in a day of the week. Does that make sense? With the, with the people of Israel and Haggai, this is what self should not take precedence in our life over God. And what happened here is that that is exactly the case. They had put God off, they had laid him aside, and they had got busy on doing all their other things. And God says, listen, you can't forget about me. One of the things about American Christianity is that we are a lot of times consumeristic in our mentality, which means that we expect God to do. But a lot of times we're not the greatest at taking the step in hunger towards him. So even as you, as you sit in church, a lot of times as we sit in church and, and you just get this idea, but it's really no different. It's a consistent theme in all of time. Israel was the same way. Oh, they shut us down. Okay, well, we'll just wait. And God came to them. In Josiah's day, they, they, they were worshiping other gods. They were trying to do their other thing and they were not trying to get right in God's eyes. And so they're just like, we're just gonna do what we wanna do. And then God came to them. You see, a lot of times it seems like that we just want things to come to us and fall in our lap and, come, and we want God to do all this stuff for us. But the question that I was challenged with as I was preparing is, are we hungering and thrusting forward toward him in our own spiritual life? Or are we remaining back and just waiting for God to bring about that strong conviction or God to just smack it down right in front of us? Are we waiting for that or are we saying, Lord, I believe you are the king of kings and I want to move forward towards you. I'm not going to wait. I'm not just going to sit there and expect everything here. I want to take a step forward and try to be proactive and hungering and thirsting for you. So many times it's easy for us to just say, you know what? If God wants me to, he'll let me know. Matthew 5, 6, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled or satisfied. Jesus doesn't, it seems as he says things like that, that the expectation is not that, that we, we should be hungering because you and I are hungering for something. I mean, mankind hungers for something. The, the Israelites hungered for false gods or false religions or to, you know, to, to their own selfish desires and motivations. They, they hungered and went after something. The question is, are we hungering and going after the right things? That's really the challenge because there are a lot of good things that can try to draw our attention away. There are a lot of things, even as we come to church, that may be good, but may not be in spirit and in truth. And the question becomes, are we hungering and really pursuing him? Are we reaching out for him and and the, a great illustration is the woman with the issue of blood and I love that picture in the word because she battles all the crowds just to touch his garment 
She doesn't wait and yell out from a distance, even though she's not supposed to be in the crowd, even though she's not supposed to be around healthy people. She doesn't stand back and say, Jesus. She says, I've got to get to him. So I'm going to risk it all. I don't care if people talk about me. I don't care if they're like, what are you doing around the general population? I don't care if I bump into people along the way. I'm not intending to knock them down. But all I'm intending to do is get to Jesus because that's where I need to get. The doctors have tried to heal me. They couldn't heal me. I spent a lot of money trying to get them to take care of it. They couldn't do it. But I know that this one, this Savior, this God man is the one that can answer all the things that I need answered. All the problems that I have, I don't need to talk to him. I just need to touch the hem of his garment. Oh, if we could have a desperation like that woman with the issue of blood that says, I don't need to to wait. I don't need to stand back. I I just need to touch the hem of his garment. In my worship, I just need to be near him. I don't need to have all the answers. I don't need to know all the plans. I don't need to know all the right words. I just need to, to be near him. But you see, just like Israel, so we can be today. I mean, there are so many things that are even going on, ministries that are going on in the church. There are, are Sunday school classes, and, uh, and it's upsetting that, that the Sunday school classes are kind of diminishing in number because Sunday school is such a powerful thing. Uh, and so as, I, as, as we watch the Sunday school classes and these small groups and these Bible studies diminish, it's like, man, I want you all to be involved in this stuff. I want you to be involved in the ministries. It's so important, not because the pastor said it, take me out of the picture altogether, but because I want want you to be close to the Lord, as close as you possibly can be. And I believe that small group study of the Word of God is something that will help you to get there. But we have to be willing sometimes to say, okay, I I do want to be involved. I do want to take a step. And I don't know what they all are. But listen, I know some people that probably know and I can figure it out. Does that make sense? Like not just Sunday school, but also ministries in general, like, like the drive and the hunger. And, and sometimes even, you know, even myself, I get too hungry, or not too hungry, but I get distracted and get led all over the place because I'm just squirrely in mentality. But I really want us to be where Christ would have his church to be. I want us to be in Bible study. I want us to be drawing near. I want us to be hungry, hungry, hungry for him, just the hem of his garment. It may be more, but just to be hungry for him. I want to be able to lay my preferences aside. I want to be able to lay my selfishness aside. And I'm speaking only about me now because I don't know where you are but I desperately want to lay myself aside so that I can only be pursuing him. But do you realize how much a battle myself can be sometimes? I mean, it's such a battle and it's, it's, it's so many preferences and there's so much selfishness there that even as I, as I preach, you know, the prayer is, Lord, help me to stay out of the way. As I do any ministry, Lord, help me to stay out of the way. Like, I don't want to insert myself in areas where you don't want me to be. I just want them to see you. I just want to be near you. I just want it to be you all over the place. And the more that I insert myself, the less it is about him. And the more it begins to point people to me. 
And that's not going to help anybody. They need Jesus. So Old Testament-wise, we had a struggle. Had a struggle in our worship times, and in Jeremiah had a struggle in the worship times, what they were doing with the house of God in Haggai. And then if we go into the New Testament in Matthew chapter 21, we find out that even in the New Testament, there was a struggle with their worship times. And we see that consistently, there is the same issue that is going on from place to place. And it's almost like when something is repeated so much, and Jesus is, is grabbing hold of what Jeremiah said and bringing it into the New Testament, that the word of God is saying to you and I, hey, we probably need to listen up because it's being repeated. It's a, con a consistent theme throughout the scripture in Matthew 21. And this particular incident happens, is recorded in every single gospel. Every single gospel. Jesus does this in verse number 12. And Jesus went into the temple of God and casts out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he said unto them, back from Jeremiah 7, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. So in the, in the New Testament, in the temple with the religious leaders of the day, what were they still trying to do that they did in Josiah's time, that they did when they returned from captivity, that they were even doing 400 years after the intertestamental period in Jesus's day, what were they still trying to do? Make worship about themselves. We want to gain money for ourselves. We want to peddle things in the, in the church house for ourselves. It really wasn't, and they wanted to claim all the while, they wanted to bring God in on it and say, we are the religious figure that you need to look at. We are the spiritual guide for Israel. And all the while, they're allowing this stuff to happen in the house of God. And you look at it and you say, that's not really about God. That's about you. Still, that's about you. And so Jesus comes in, and this is one of those situations that we see a side of the Savior that we don't always see, but he comes in, and what's he doing? We know this, don't we? You can say, don't be afraid. Throwing tables, there's a whip in one of the Gospels involved. I mean, there's all, he is just coming and wreaking havoc, right? He's like, this is not what God intended for his house to be about. It's not about what you can gain for yourself. It's not about you earning money for yourself, buying and selling, peddling stuff. It's not about any of that. My, my father's house is to, to be made a house of prayer. And he goes in and he drives all these money changers out of the house. But the bigger picture is what happens after that is gone. And I want you to see that because I think it speaks volumes to you and I in our own spiritual walk and just to you and I as we're a part of his church here. It says in verse 14, and the blind and the lame came to, the, to him in the temple and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were, dis they were sore displeased. And said unto him, hearest thou what these say? And Jesus said unto him, yea, have ye never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany and he lodged there. So what happens when man's redefinition of the temple gets cast out? Worship, miracles, praise. Do you see that? 
praise so much to, so that, to the point that, that the religious leaders were like, do you hear what they're saying, Jesus? Do you not recognize this? And, and, and Jesus just puts them in place as he so often does. But you see that so definitively there in Matthew, more so I would say than any of the other gospels, once selfish desire, once he casts that stuff out of the temple, then people are crying out and it's, it records miracles are happening. Why? Because then it, God has got control of his temple again. It has been surrendered back and the selfish motive have been cast out or or turned over or addressed. And it was then that we see the miracles talked about and we see the praise happening. And let me say that, that for you and I, if you're at a place, a lot of times, even in our individual, whether it's corporate worship or worship in your own life, if self is in control of your life, and listen, I talked about planners last week, and I've heard about that a little bit, but I know that, that we've got some plans. If, if we are so white-knuckled in uh, holding our lives if we are so gripping what we think and what we expect and what we want, so many times if you're gripping so hard, where, does, where is God's place in that? What room does God have to move if you're holding on your own selfish desires so hard? so firmly. And so, so many times we in our own life, we say, well, we don't hear God or we don't see God or we don't, we don't know where he is. But sometimes it may be because we are trying to control everything, our, 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 um, our ideas, our ideology, our own desires, our own hungers, our own passions are what is leading. And we're not letting God have control of the house. We're not letting God have control of our life. We want to serve God, but we want to serve God like they served in Israel, not maybe with Baal, but maybe God as being there if we need him, but not all the time. Maybe as God being there if we have time, but not all the time. Maybe God being there if trouble comes, but the rest of the time, we're just going to let him lie there. And then we say, why do we not hear God? But Jesus, in the Gospels here, he goes in and he says, listen, because, and, and for us to give our life in true surrender to him, we know that we have to deny ourselves as, as number one, right? Those who come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross, right? So denying ourselves is one of the hardest things to do. And the thing that is consistent about what Jesus says it means to follow him, self has to be out of the way because surrender means you're all his, right? And so for us to surrender and live a life of surrender, it means that, that God doesn't play second fiddle, that God takes precedence over everything, and that he is number one in our life in all things. Uh, and so what that means is that if he leads and guides whatever that he wants us to go, wherever he wants us to go, we just need to say yes, and not try to control every detail of what's going on all the time. I was so impressed by this because I feel like that sometimes myself I can be hindered in my spiritual journey because I want to hold on to things so much and God may be leading this way or that way. Pastor Danny used to talk about it a lot and I'll talk about it as well. Being a pastor was not my job description growing up, my goal of what I wanted to be when I grew up, right? And, I, and, I, and I've referenced this, I'm sure I've referenced it in here, but I remember that, that the, the, the one thing that I am most terrified of is, is public speaking. I know, but, but it's, it's a thing. 
But, but I really am. I mean, it, so much so that I get nervous, I get sweaty, I get jittery. That's why I walk around. That's why I need this aisle. Thank goodness Andrew left one aisle at least. And so that's why I need, because I am jittery and I, and I do get nervous. But, <laughs> thank you, brother. <laughs> but, uh, but I remember the first time I stood up and I was at a youth Sunday morning and I read my message off of a paper, every single line, with a, a, a college-ruled piece of paper just like this the whole time. Scared to death, walked off the stage and I said, I'll never speak in front of people. I know, not a good thing to say. I've learned that since, but nonetheless. But one of the things that God's always pressed on me is that and he convicted me about this a long time ago. If he gives me an opportunity to talk about my Jesus, I'm gonna do it. I'll be nervous, I'll be a wreck. And Tiffany can tell you, sometimes I'll leave the service, I'll say, did that even make sense? Because <laughs> in my head, it was all over the place. And sometimes I am a wreck. But my Jesus, our Jesus is so incredible that if God gives me a chance, I'll be a wreck so that he can be glorified the best that he can through this wreckage. But I say that to say this, whatever God is leading you to do, it more than likely won't be comfortable for you. But what we don't want is to operate in our realm of comfort because in our realm of comfort, there is limitation. In God's realm, it's limitless. In our realm of control, we can only have our hands over certain things at certain times. We can't hold it all in our hands at the same time and control when sickness and come is gonna come. We can't control when loved ones are gonna pass away. We can't control when plans are gonna change. We can't control things in our life, but there is one who can. And for you and I, if God calls you or leads you to do whatever it may be, if he has, has saved you, he saved you for a reason. And a beginning point, a beginning place, a great beginning place, I believe, is for you to just say, Lord, I want to know you. I want to hunger for you with all that I can. I want to be as near to you, Jesus. I want to chase you like the woman with the issue of blood. And if I could just get to the hem of your garment, I know that everything will be okay. And what I found is as you and I draw closer with, in spirit and in truth, that self will fall away more and more. Because in the brightness of the sun, all of that stuff fades away. But if we always remain like the Israelites in, in Haggai's day, where we'll, we're content allowing God's house to sit and doing our own thing, then we're gonna miss out on the blessings that God wants to, to send down, to rain down. We're gonna miss out on the increase. We're gonna miss out on the fruitfulness because we've decided that we've got enough of Jesus, which is never the case. There's always more, right? 
So as I read this, I was so challenged by it because I was like, man, Lord, I, I know what this is like because he has asked me to set myself aside and my nevers and my nose over and over again in life and, and, and I've done it and he's never failed me. He's always showed up in mighty ways. There are people in the church that's getting ready to take their, their first mission trip to Jamaica and, and even in conversation, it's like I, I'm not always sure and there's a lot of questions, but one of the things, you know what a privilege it is to be able to tell someone, listen, God will be faithful if you will just be obedient. God will be faithful. I have never been anywhere in the name of the Lord where I left, and, and I know Harry has referenced a similar thing where I left and I was like, man, I wish I hadn't have went on that mission trip and told people about G. I wish I hadn't have seen those people get saved. I mean, this was just a great inconvenience in my, I have never done something for the Lord that I was like, man, God, you really failed me in that situation. But do you know how many times when opportunities come up that I have hesitated and not wanted to do it? Many, many times. But I told the Lord, if you give me a chance, I'm going to talk about Jesus. So from the very first time, y'all should have saw, first time that they said, hey, we want you to preach a funeral, I was scared to death. Scared to death. But from the first time that ever took place all the way through, he's never failed. So church, let me challenge you in this. As the word has challenged me, I don't, know, I don't know why you are here. I don't know what your main purpose, what your main thoughts about worship each week are. I don't know where your emphasis or focus is. I can't say specifically for each and every one of you, but let me, let me challenge you with this. Jesus said in John 4, those that come to me must worship in spirit and in truth. So if you find your time in, in this worship service being so clouded by cares of life, if you find your days, it, day by day in life, being so consumed with all these other things, with scheduling, with planning, with busyness, let me say this to you. Deliberately take time out intentionally and spend that time with Jesus. The closer, that, the more intimate that you grow with Christ, the more that your selfishness and your desires and your leading is gonna fall away the greater you're going to see him become as you grow closer to him. And I'll tell you, I know it can be overwhelming because I feel it too. I know that you can come here as we gather corporately to worship and you may come here thinking about everything other than what we're here to worship. You may be singing and not paying a bit of attention to the words. You may be sitting out there looking at me and deceiving me and thinking that you're listening because that's not hard. But we know that between you and God, that God knows where your heart is. God knows where you have white knuckles and you're saying, Lord, I wanna follow you, but you can't have this. Lord, I want to I wanna run after you, but I'm not going this far. God knows where you're drawing lines, where you're preventing the blessings that will come when we just fully focus and make him precedence in our life. God knows what you're clinging to that you don't want to let go of, the, the false idols maybe or false gods or things you're following after through the week, the sins that are unconfessed. God knows all of that. And the way that you find peace in the midst of all of that is at the feet of the Father. Peace 
and comfort is only found as we worship him in spirit and in truth. If I come to church to worship him with everything else on my mind, I don't find peace and comfort there. Peace and comfort come when we worship him in spirit and in truth. So as we have an invitation today and as Andrew comes, this, this message is kind of tough because I know that there are a lot of things in our life that we may not be proud of. I know there are things in my life that I'm not proud of. And the, and the goal is not to shame and the goal is not to do any of that stuff, but the goal is to get you to let go of those things and let God have them. And let God have complete control and leadership of your life in every way. Know that if you're dealing with selfish thoughts, if you're dealing with, with selfish desires, that's not a new thing. It's not a new tactic of the enemy. It's something that he's been using all throughout scripture and it's been effective to get people distracted from true worship of an almighty God. It's been used for hundreds of years by the enemy to take God's people, to take the distraction away and we wonder why we don't see more saved and we wonder why we don't see more blessings sometimes. Well, maybe it's because we just need to say, Lord, we are not gonna try to control it all. We're gonna let go and we're gonna let you. We're gonna lay it at the altar. We're gonna let it go and we're just gonna trust you to do, to bring souls, to redeem lives, to transform, to do what only you can do. But we gotta let go. We gotta let go. And listen, I know there's fear in letting go. There is fear in letting go. Because so many times when we let go, we don't know what's gonna happen on the other side. We have this false perception that we've got control on this side when we really don't, but it gives us a little bit of satisfaction. But let me tell you that the greatest place for you to be is 100% surrender to the Lord, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Not holding on to stuff not carrying stuff around, not dragging things, but 100% surrendered. I know it's scary. I know it may make your anxiety go through the roof. But I have never been at a more peaceful place than the place I find myself when I let go of all the things I'm trying to hold on to. And just be at his feet all in. simple invitation today. Will you let go and let God do what God wants to do with your life? Will you let go, church, and let God do what he wants to do in his church? Let's stand together, heads bowed and eyes closed. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come to you today. And Father, I, there's just so many things, Lord. So many things, so many failures, so many shortcomings in my own life, Father. But as I've been reading through Jeremiah, I keep going back to the fact that how awesome you are that you keep sharing truth with us. Lord, I, I don't know what people are dealing with in this place. I don't know what everyone's got going on. 
But I do know the selfishness and self has such a strong draw. And you've asked us to give that up to follow you. Lord, I just pray for these next few moments that whatever is is holding anybody back, that that any spirit that's in this place that is not a a spirit of of truth, uh, that that, that is not your spirit, anything that is impeding and and, and interrupting in people's lives and their relationship with you, Lord, that this will be the moment, this will be the day that all that is laid down, Lord, and that we all just let go. Lord, it's so heavy to try to carry it ourselves. Glory to your name, you said that we don't have to. Take your yoke, Jesus, you said. Lord, I just pray that we would lay it down today. God, that you would move freely as only you can. All for your glory, holy Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.